We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hi, I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan, and welcome back to Reclamation Radio. So today I want to talk about one of the deep, dark, treacherous places where the feminine shadow lives, which is in the impulse to get someone else to see, right? So I have learned, and maybe I'm a particularly shiny example of this phenomenon because of my particular defensive structuring, but I have learned that the neon lights above my shadow realm are marked with the sign that says, I'm going to get you to see. And I actually have observed that this is 
really the plight of women in relationship in man, woman relating is that we have learned through very valid self-protective mechanisms to stuff our emotions, to go into our minds and out of our embodied feeling state. So to abandon the post of our own hearts so that we can attempt to convert what is not available into something that maybe, maybe could be available through our strategy, through our force of will, through our coercion, through our efforts to rhetorically, intellectually, and communicatively change someone who is in front of us. So in many ways, this is probably familiar because it is buying eggs from the hardware store. It is attempting to source love and connection from what is very clearly, well, at least it's clear to one part of us, the impossible place to source love from the impossible place. And when we are in this trauma-based behavior, we actually can't see clearly what is in front of us. It's a learned practice and commitment to oneself to feel the upset, enter through it, and begin to peel away the gauze and the veils that obscure, you know, that clarity. And in these moments where we are having a battle with ourselves on the outside, we are not able to see, we're not able to accept what's in front of us, and we're not able typically because of this defensive pattern to reveal our feminine hearts, to demonstrate and display you know, what it is that is coursing through us. It's storyless. It, is, it doesn't come with a whole litigation level <laughs> argument for why it is that we feel the way we feel. It is simply a state. It's a vulnerable opening. And from that place, we can choose. We can choose how to interact with what is in front of us. So when we feel afraid, which is usually in the setting of perceived rejection and betrayal and the disconnection that attends these usually decade-old wounds that are reignited and reactivated by very particular circumstances that you could even say we subconsciously design so as to re-encounter these old wounds and respond differently. But when we feel afraid, our weapon as women is not to kill, probably, right? Is not to use our force of aggression to subdue. It is, according to many who analyze the differences in these gender polarities, it is to shame. Right? So our capacity to shame, particularly men, is akin to their capacity to kill and enact violence. Right. So naturally, the self-protective impulse is going to be to argue and mount a case for why this person in front of us is bad and wrong. And like really actually to the core, right? So they're like damaged goods. And I have had several personal experiences recently where I was presented a fork in the road so that I could either enter through the upset, be with the felt experience and reveal in vulnerability, or simply make wise and informed choices from that place. Or I could engage the old pattern 
of litigating around my upset, how it is that I am right, that I see with superior eyes, what is going on here. And I am going to get this other individual (laughs) to see my perspective. And what's interesting, and I wonder how many of you can relate, is that at this point, perhaps in our collective, you know, maturation, perhaps it's just the individual, you know, journey. I know when I am choosing the lower road, right? Like I'm aware that I'm doing it. There is a part of me that is saying, not again, Kelly, really. (laughs) And so in a couple of these instances, like I watched myself really work with the exquisite discomfort of that entering through the upset, you know, path. And I, I knew, you know, that this is where the expansion and the self-alignment arises from, but the discomfort is a threshold that we pass through where we go from really gripping onto this possibility of arguing for our rightness. And we relinquish that so that we can actually be totally wrong. (laughs) So it's like, it's not a subtle thing. It's like you literally go from feeling totally righteous to feeling totally damaged or totally wrong, or really without the mooring of these defenses. And that vulnerability, interestingly, almost always gives rise to exactly the kind of connection that would never be available through the power over force-based path. So I have had, like I said, these recent experiences of being rejected, particularly from communities for my beliefs, for my behaviors. And I have a long history of expressing polarizing energies. It must just be what I came here to dance with. I don't know, because I have been rejected for my health beliefs, for my scientific beliefs. I've even like been uninvited, you know, to a wedding because of my strong opinions. This was during pandemic times. And I know what it is to be rejected for my mind. And honestly, that was, it was never really, you know, like making the disinformation dozen list. It's funny to me. It's fun. I, you know, obviously there are personal encounters where it's more tender to navigate. However, it doesn't cut to the core for me of where most of my shame lives. My mind, my intellect to feel rejected and marginalized for that, you know, it almost even fuels the, you know, the weaponry, the battlefield sort of like accoutrement, right? Like, so in that space, I can still play the game and it's not really tough for me. However, more recently over the past couple of years, as I have decided to express what feels good in my body, what brings me joy and to de-secret aspects of my body and my personal practices, I have encountered like massive amounts of shame and a sense of not knowing how to be a woman correctly. And this is where most of the deeper work uh, that I've done over the past couple of years, as I've discussed in so many podcasts has really arisen from. So it's like somehow to feel rejected for the way that I'm choosing to relate to my own female body feels like an indictment of my 
very womanhood, right? Like the discernment around my feminine form just cuts to the very essence of my self-concept. So I'll share a story that's pretty cringy. (laughs) So I was recently removed from a membership that espouses Christian values. And certainly I do not identify as uh, with any denominational religion. However, I absolutely espouse many of the values that were marketed as a part of this membership community, right? And I was removed specifically at the request of many members for my public demonstrations of immodesty and promiscuity. So I would love to offer a forensic analysis of this experience in the event that it serves, you know, you to identify a moment where you are confronted with that fork in the road as a woman and you have, well, as a person really, and you have this choice to make. So, because I made the old choice, (laughs) I made the old choice. So I get this email about how it is that I have been removed and why, and I immediately felt, so I have grown a decent relationship to my primary emotions and feeling states, and I knew what was going on there. So in the old days of my you know, incarnation, I would not have had any awareness that there was any feeling at all other than an urgent need to respond and to get somebody to see. Now, my somatic sequence is, is more known, right? So I feel like a clenching in my chest. I feel like heat waves move under my arms and up my neck. And it's attended by then the defensive impulse to you know, really protect myself, to defend myself. So in that moment that I received the email, I felt tremendous shame. I felt the shame of being rejected for who it is that I am, right? So who it is that I naturally express as, and it feels in these moments, like it's irreparable. Like there's no solution. I can't be other than, well, I could try, but it's certainly an uphill battle to be other than what I am. And if what I am is bad and wrong, then I'm going to be out in the cold, right? Like I'm going to be on the side of the road. And this level of rejection and exclusion for who it is that we experience ourselves to be is often attended by the sense of being misunderstood and mischaracterized and unseen. So what do those sound like, right? Those sound like childhood wounds. So we'll pause here for a message from our sponsor, my membership community, Vital Life Project. So if you want to hang with me, ask me questions in live coaching, get free access to my masterclasses, curated content, discounts, and to the incredible humans that I attract, my membership, Vital Life Project, is where it's at. It's the only membership of its kind, and you'll shed your struggle, transform your victim story, and level up your reclamation game with others who get it. Join at the link in show notes and at kellybroganmd.com. So as I felt that shame and acknowledged it, I, again, had this opportunity to simply be with it. So I call it entering through the upset. So it's easy to remember, enter your upset, enter through there. Okay. Enter through the upset. I also had the opportunity to simply do another, you know, phrase that I often tout, which is, to put on the villain crown, to allow 
this anonymous individual sending the email to see me as bad and wrong, to just allow them to have that perspective and to really try this on, right? Like how true is it that I am immodest and promiscuous? Well, I could see how like one of those could really land as true, like immodest. I think there might've also been something about profanity, right? So I have a trucker mouth. (laughs) You may not know that because I'm slowly integrating that into my public persona, but ask any of my friends and certainly have profane tendencies. Could you characterize my persona behaviors and choices as immodest? Absolutely. The promiscuous bit that didn't land, right? So that doesn't feel true. It's, it's like simply doesn't feel true. So that is an easy one to argue. The others, when I try them on, I'm like, hmm, yeah, I guess that is true, right? So that's what wearing the villain crown is, as I've described you know, in a recent episode. It's just try it on, right? Be that bad and wrong person that somebody is you know, stating that you are. And just just see, just see what of it rings true so that you can meet the part of you that agrees, that is in collusion with this seeming outer force reflecting judgment upon you. Because things only hurt when we are afraid that they are true, right? When we're afraid they're true, or we have not given ourselves the permission to hold whatever perspective it is that is coming at us. And we need to experience it as other. So if I had chosen principally with my time, attention, and energy to enter through the upset, to wear the villain crown, and to meet this part of me that lives beyond the shame, right? Lives beyond the terror of being rejected and excluded for being bad and wrong at my very core, at my very essence, to my very essence, then I would have had an opportunity to develop intimacy through this, you know, the unforeseen scenario with a dimension of myself that I would probably otherwise have continued to experience as outside of me, as not me, right? So I am not the one who is you know, immodest or profane. I am not, or if I am, I have very good reason to be so. And you're wrong about judging me, right? You're wrong and bad for judging me as wrong and bad, right? So I had that opportunity and I like kind of took it, but mostly not, right? So mostly not because I took action instead, right? So I acknowledged the feeling and then I took action, but being with the feeling is, a self-alignment that is at odds with action, right? It is at odds with repairing and fixing. It's simply being with yourself, meeting yourself, attending to yourself, expressing compassion and curiosity about yourself and your inner terrain. So you stay inside rather than going outside to fix it with the character you are potentially playing out a scene with in this theater of our lifescapes, right? So. I instead wrote a a playful but pedantic and condescending email. And I have been able to do this over my life. Like I can write these emails in 90 seconds and they can read like a treatise, right? So it's like, I probably could have been a powerful litigator because it's very easy for me. So to raise my sword in these moments is the 
comfortable thing. And that's why when people have reflected to me, like, oh, you're so courageous for all your activism, like, no, this is actually my most readily available self-protective and defensive mechanism, right? So when I write these kinds of communications, I mean, I have, I've written 500 blogs that are from this energy pretty much and two books. When I write these communications, I get societal reinforcement, right? So my friends and other, you know, I, I get applauded for, you know, like slaying the email, right? And, and making all of these, you know, important points about this particular conflict. And in this case, I had a sneaking feeling, as I mentioned, that I really could be doing better at this point, meaning that not sending this email was the better for me. And I still did it. And I still abandoned, you know, that part of me that was asking me to do differently, right? To respond differently to the same old experience of being rejected. And that part of me that is asking me to respond differently is the one that actually wants my attention, right? Wants me to be with myself, is inviting me home. So I ended up making several arguments about the fear and control-based consciousness that underpins denominational religion, the hypocrisy, the poison of unacknowledged judgment, and you know, without using clinical psychiatric terms, I introduced this concept of what's called reaction formation, which is essentially embodying the opposite of what is secretly known to be true, right? So this is like when a politician rallies against, you know, homosexuality and is, you know, himself like a closet case, that kind of a thing. So virtue signaling, right? It is a very it's very operative in our social landscape right now. And the anatomy of virtue signaling is something that I have studied over the past couple of years, including in myself, right? So what is it to imagine that you are good and right in the eyes of a trusted authority and that it is your job to impose your rightness and goodness on somebody else or on a group of people? Right. So I pointed out, you know, how their virtue signaling and moralistic high ground condemnation is in so many ways at the core of exactly what it is that they are seeking to resolve, which is this disconnection from God in everything. And that maybe underneath this virtue signaling is actually a sense of inner hatred for humanity, fear of humanity, not a devotional dedication to doing right, you know, for humanity. So I went, you know, on and on about puritanical culture and how, you know, often what appears to be puritanical culture is erotically obsessed and sees sex everywhere. And this projected repression is problematic. I basically pulled an angry feminist card around the Madonna whore complex and the conflation of sex with the feminine form. I, you know, accused them of dehumanizing and objectifying. I invoked the concept of a witch hunt. I, you know, tried to educate them about the hypocrisy of this kind of judging as bad and evil, which is inconsistent, you know, with Christ consciousness and what it is that they are purporting to uphold. And I also suggested that they lacked 
the nuance that might be required to navigate the modern moment where there are people like me who are both the Madonna and the whore. (laughs) And what of it, right? If you're called to products for radical healing and personal transformation, then my dear friend and founder of Lotus Way, Katie, has illuminated the path forward and take it from me that she and her team are the real deal. She told me a story once about how she had her team stop the van that they were driving in because she felt like there was a rare flower out in the desert and she walked into the middle of nowhere and lo and behold, there it was. Serious witch level. Lotus Way is a living marketplace for energetic healing that supports you inside and out and shows us that personal alignment can smell and taste and feel pleasurable. I've been using their entire line of flower essences for years, and I am super what I like to call olfactorily sensitive, aka I love delicious scents. So every day I spray one called True Strength for support of my masculine and infinite love for support of my feminine. And then I put sacred body elixir into my water to protect my vessel energetically, especially if I'm traveling or out in the world of exposures. So for these and more, so many more, head to lotusway.com and use the code Kelly15 for 15% off. The link is in the show notes for you. But it was all very well written and I made a couple of jokes and I ultimately felt like I had made an important point for the collective, right? Like I had made an offering to the resolution of so many of the ills of society, including the way that this, you know, victim consciousness and associated hierarchical, oppressive and condemning othering divisive consciousness is hiding in places other than authoritarian technocracy and government that it's also hiding in these places, you know, where seemingly, you know, sovereignty loving Christians are, you know, forming groups. (laughs) So I felt that I had made an important point and I recruited because this is how it works, right? This is how victim consciousness works. It doesn't see itself. And then it needs, it needs loosh, right? So it needs to be validated externally. So I recruited, you know, my friends and I shared the story and my email and, you know, most of them were like, wow, that's crazy. Can't believe that you experienced that. Right. And my friends are very sophisticated and able to like hold so much nuance and paradox and call me out of my shit. And the one in this particular landscape who called me to the carpet is of course my coach, Whitney. And she promptly (laughs) reminded me that there are so many ways in my communication that I was enacting and embodying exactly that which I was judging. And generally that I was in the energy of this shadow habit of women of imagining that it is my role to get somebody who doesn't see, who is ignorant, to see the truth that I somehow am privileged enough to see. Right? So it's that same shadow material that shows up in romantic relationship, shows up in the activist space, shows up in interpersonal conflict. Whenever we abandon the post of our hearts to make the case, to educate the ignorant, and to coerce a sense of awareness 
in somebody who's for some reason just doesn't get it, we often, maybe always, I don't know, we often end up acting out, right? So in implying that, you know, this individual was lacking nuance and an embrace of complexity that is, you know, necessitated by the modern moment in human history, I was doing that right? Like I was lacking the nuance of what it is to have a private membership, to be able to have your own rules, to be able to exclude whomever you want, which is certainly something, you know, that I believe in the power of private organizations and businesses. And like, who am I to try to show them what it is that they're doing wrong and why? And that righteousness, that moralistic high ground is exactly what it is that I was judging. And so that's the thing, right? Like when we raise, it's almost like this, this metaphor or this image, right? When we raise the sword to fight for ourselves, it's like you can see yourself in the mirror reflection of the metal, right? Of the sword itself. And the discomfort of acknowledging that is elective because most of society will rally around if they agree with you, right, will rally around your victim story and your point. And I just happen to be particularly skilled, I think, at hiding and couching my victim story and my victim consciousness and my self-rejection, right? Because that's what's happening, right? I'm experiencing rejection on the outside, but what's really occurring is I am abandoning and rejecting and betraying the part of me that is holding the feelings about the rejection so that I can go play the game on the outside of sourcing from the impossible place, some kind of connection or sense of rightness that just isn't even for sale. It's just not even available. So how does that sense of rightness, that sense of okayness, that sense of acceptance arise from within, right? Like how do I create the conditions for that? It's probably not by attempting to, you know, from a place of superiority, coerce that from the outside. So these conversion efforts, these let me get you to see efforts, these here are the reasons that you're wrong and I'm right efforts from a place of superiority, they belie the pain of thwarted merger, right? So what we really want, what our heart's desire is, is that merger, is that sense of a shared reality, is that sense of connection. And when that is not available, the hurt of that, we're trained to avoid it. We're trained to run from it. We are trained to distract from it through these efforts, right? To secure just a little sense of okayness in a sea of felt wrongness. And the truth is it doesn't come through that venue, right? Like we no one changes when we approach them from a sense of superiority. And in the family constellation world, a lot of the work that I have borne witness to and engaged has been about resolving superiority with anyone who we experience as a perpetrator and really seeing ourselves in that character, like truly authentically seeing ourselves in that projected you know, dimension of otherness. So I want to continue to invite myself and I want to invite all of you to consider the next time you feel that you've been wronged to enter through that upset, to connect to what you are actually feeling, right? Where is the sensation in your body? What does it have to tell you? 
right? How would you characterize it? Can you be with it as if you are with, you know, a crying baby, attend to it and just, you know, honestly, this has taken 90 seconds, right? To three minutes for it to alchemize, right? When you do choose to sit with these feeling states and offer all of your attention to them, the alchemy happens very rapidly in my experience. And, you know, if you want to reveal that feeling state, if you want to share that from a place of vulnerability, the funny thing is you can't be wrong about that. Right. So when you express like how something felt and you take responsibility for your lived experience, your felt experience, you can have that sense of rightness that you're seeking. It's actually not available beyond like the surrogate hit, like the lick of ice cream when what you want is a glass of water. When you are attempting to validate your feeling of upsetness, when you are litigating, when you are you know, out in the field of zero sum games, I'm right, you're wrong, attempting to secure some kind of defeat. It actually never feels good because what we want is the connection and the connection is available through that vulnerability. And there's also the option to simply see what is in front of you, right? Whether it's your partner, whether it's you know, a stranger, whether it's a friend, like actually see them for who they are, how they're acting, what they're saying, how they're showing up, and then make a choice, right? Do you want this? Do you not? Does it work for you? Does it not? And in making that choice, you release this reflexive habit of attempting to coerce them into what it is that you want them to be, even though they have shown you that they are not that thing, right? And maybe they've shown you they are that thing once and then they're not the next day. And maybe that's what they've shown you is the inconsistency. Whatever it is that you don't like about what somebody is showing you, you have fundamentally a choice about how to interact with that. And so this reconnection to the power of choice can really only happen when we stay with ourselves and resist the reflexive impulse to go up into our heads, make the case for why we are entitled to feel what it is that we feel and why we're right about it. So I know that the work for me may not be, you know, the work for others who have an experience of, you know, self-silencing. However, I do think the work can be characterized as responding differently than you normally do. Right. So if representing and speaking your truth is something you don't have a habit of doing, then perhaps moving and leaning into that direction is the avenue for connection. And how do you do it through language of self responsibility and emotional revealing? Right. For me, it is to simply put down the sword when it is way easier to pick it up. And so I'm offering this little tale really to many of the the activists among us and those who are used to fighting the good fight and making the important points. But this could be relevant to so many scenarios, right? Including, you know, if you don't like that your partner is, you know, scrolling social media and hearting other women's profiles, right? Like how is it that you can really see what is in front of you, accept it for what it is, and be with what comes up in you when you interact with that reality and then make a choice 
from that place. All right. I hope this was helpful. Talk to you soon.